begin this morning, let me invite your attention Second Timothy chapter 3. Let me begin this message a little bit different today. Uh, the one who left heaven, the one who was born in Bethlehem, the one who walked the shores of Galilee, the one who overcame death and the grave, and the one who is alive today, one day he is coming again. That's the certainty. Jesus Christ is coming again. Now we understand that the rapture, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming for his bride, but we know at his return, he is coming with his bride. And as you and I think about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that we will long for his coming, and I pray as well that we will live for his return. Jesus Christ is coming again. Uh, growing up like you, I played the game hide and seek with a lot of uh, people around me, and, and you know how that game was. You'd get a group of people together, and somebody would be designated as it, and uh, the rest of the people would go hide, and they would have a countdown, and then they would say, what, ready or not, here I come. Right. And so you get one, two, three, four, five, I'm going to count to ten, seven, eight, nine, ten, ready or not, here I come. In 1942, General Douglas MacArthur uh, stood on a, a gunship in the Philippines speaking to the Australian press, and he said these words, I shall return. 1984, Arnold Schwarzenegger, in a movie entitled The Terminator, you may remember this line, he said, what, I will be back. Well, MacArthur and Schwarzenegger aren't the only ones who said that. The Lord Jesus Christ ultimately said, I shall return, I'll be back. Are you longing for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? The countdown is on. Again, one day our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is coming again. Here's what I know many of you, in this series you asked for it, you put so many notes in there about the return of Christ. What does it mean for a second coming? And how do we see world events, current events, related to the second coming of Christ? What does that look like? And we're going to dig into that from Second Timothy chapter 3. When I think about the return of Christ, as Baptists, we know a lot about his first coming. We don't know as much about his second coming, but we know this. The first time he came, he came as an infant in Bethlehem, and then he grew and lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, but the tomb is empty, and the Lord Jesus Christ is alive. And then we know his second return. He's not coming as an infant. He's coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming to rule and reign because he is the Savior and Lord of life. Jesus is coming again. When you think about the Word of God, you realize that the Bible mentions so many times in so many places about the return and the coming of Jesus. We also know in the Word of God, out of 27 books in the New Testament, the majority of them reference the return of Christ, that He's coming again. And even from the lips of the Lord Jesus Himself, over 20 times He references His own return, His own coming. So if the return of Christ was that important to him that he talked about it that many times, it should be that important to you and to me today as we think about his return, his coming again. Here's what I ask you on the front end of this message. Because as we think about the return of Christ, I don't know when's the last time you heard a sermon about the return of Christ, but as we think about this message, I want to ask you, are you awake? Are you ready for his return? Are you watching for his return? Are you looking at the principles of the word of God and current events around us and seeing how those things relate to one another? The fulfillment of prophecy when you think about the return of the Lord Jesus. So are you awake? 
Are you ready? Are you watching? And if he was to return today, would he find you spiritually ready to be with him for all eternity? Many people, you're going to hear at times, you're going to find people who are going to come and say that they know the date and the time when the Lord Jesus is coming again. And I just want to give you a word of caution today in the room and those who are watching. Don't follow someone who says, I know the date and the time. Because the scripture says something different than that. Uh, many years ago, I think it was in 2011, a guy by the name of Harold Camping made the statement, I think it was on May the 21st, that Jesus was coming again. Well, guess what happened on May 22nd? Uh, life was still going on. And then they asked Harold Camping about, well, why did you say May the 21st and it was not right? And then he said, well, I had a mathematical miscalculation. It's really going to be October the 21st. Guess what happened on October the 22nd? Uh, life went on. You just have to be careful about who you're going to follow. Well, let me invite your attention here to your outline because I want you to walk through this. And then we're going to come at the end and give some significant challenges about the return of Christ and what does it mean for us today as we think about current events as we're going to see 2 Timothy chapter 3. Number one, establish a solid foundation. Now, church, I am thankful today that the solid foundation is Jesus Christ. On this rock I stand. Not going to be sinking sand, but he is the solid rock. We're going to establish a solid foundation. When I think about the foundation, I want you to know this. What does the Bible say about the return of Christ? And then what do we as Baptists believe about the return of Christ? And how do those things relate? So look at your outline with me. I want to give you these two words. I didn't go to seminary for nothing. So, so I want to give you a couple of big theological words that we learned in seminary. may only remember two, but I want to give them to you anyway. Uh, but I want to give you these two words, thinking about the second coming, the return of Christ. The first word is the word eschatology. It's a big word, fancy word. So you go to seminary and learn some of these words, but it is the study of last things or future events. When you think about eschatology, it's talking about what is going to happen in the last days, last things, what is going to happen when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Second word is parousia. That's a fancy word, but it just means the second coming of Jesus Christ. So if you're in a theological setting, you're going to see these words, eschatology, parousia, is talking about the return of Christ, last things, future events, what is it going to be like when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again? Now, look at your outline with me here too. Number one, what does the Bible say about Jesus' second coming? And so I want to give you some verses. I encourage you to write these down. Uh, many of them you're already going to know, but I want you to go back and look at it because I want the Word of God to speak. This is what the Bible says. This is not something a professor said or someone else. This is what the Word of God says. But in Matthew chapter 24, the Bible says this, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. So, so it's not a question if he's coming again. You just don't know the day of his coming. But I promise you this. One day, the trumpet is going to sound, and the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. We also know this out of Matthew 24, verse 44. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So I ask you again today, as you think about the Bible, are you ready for the return of Christ? If it was today... 
If it happened before this service was over, are you spiritually ready for his return? I was having a conversation with someone this weekend. We were talking about how different church is today than it was years ago. I remember on a Sunday morning, even before I ever stood up to preach and getting ready to get into the sermon, there was a guy who was sitting over to my back right who stood up. His first name was Earl. He raised his hand, asked, everything okay? He starts weeping, and he says, Preacher, Pastor, I can't wait to the invitation to get right with Jesus. I need to do so now. Hallelujah for that. Because he wanted to be ready. And so if you're in this service and you need to get your life to Christ, don't wait to the invitation. Just go ahead and walk and come on down front. Uh, we've got pastoral staff and others. We'd love to see the Lord move in that context for you to get your life right with the Lord Jesus Christ even this very moment. But as we look at that, what does the Bible say? You need to stay awake, but you also need to be ready. Look at another passage, John chapter 14. This verse we reference a lot at funerals. We talk about where Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms or mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, what did Jesus say? What did he promise? I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. What amazing truth in that verse to realize this, that yes, Jesus is preparing this amazing mansion for those who are his children, but also he made a promise that he's coming again. But here is the great promise for me beyond the mansion that where Jesus is at, I'm going to be at. So I'm going to be with him for all eternity. That's what the Bible says. Jesus says, I am coming again. Acts chapter 1. We look at what happens in the book of Acts, and we understand after his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, he appeared to many people. In Acts chapter 1, verse 11, the Bible says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Many of us have stood on the Mount of Olives where that happened, and one day Jesus Christ is coming again to a place called the Mount Olivet. One day Jesus is coming again and going through the eastern gate of the old city of Jerusalem. Jesus Christ is going to return. We also look at another passage. We see 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I read this verse a lot of times at funerals as well because if there's anything, those of us who grieve, we need to grieve with hope. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we talk about we grieve with hope. Why? Because, again, of the gospel, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And then in verse 16 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Bible says, For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Jesus Christ is coming again. And then one that I even quoted to someone this morning, Revelation chapter 22. I was in a conversation with someone this morning. They wanted to tell me about an issue with a family whom used to attend here, but now is in Alabama, it is a horrific situation. And you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and you see what the list is there. You think, Lord, that's right out of our day right now. And when I think about what that was shared with me this morning about that family, it says this, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Who said it? Jesus said that. Surely I am coming soon. And then the declaration, amen, so be it, we agree. Come, Lord Jesus. 
Well, there are days I look at it and here's again, I want to see people saved. I want to see people come to Christ. I want to see people get right with him, born again, experience forgiveness of sins. But there are days with all the issues in our world, Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, you return because we're going to be with you forever and forever. That's what the Bible says about the return of Christ. Now look at the second question I've given you there. What do Baptists believe about Jesus' return? What do we believe? Now I want to give you this. You can go to... Uh, Baptist Faith and Message, you can Google that and you'll be able to see uh, our statement of beliefs there when we think about who we are as Baptists. The Baptist Faith and Message 2000 did a whole teaching series on that just a number of months ago. But there's a section there entitled Last Things. And so I want you to look at this on the screen. You're going to be able to see this. And it's just talking about last things. What do Baptists believe about that? And so let me, let me give that to you if you can see that up there. If not, we'll keep moving on. But as you think about last things, what does it mean? Here's what we believe as Baptists about last things. We believe that Jesus Christ is coming again visibly and bodily. He is going to return. That's what he promised. We're going to see him, and he's coming bodily as well, which is a great declaration for us. And as Jesus Christ returns, we believe this, that he is going to judge the living and the dead as well. There's going to be the judgment for the unrighteous and the judgment for the righteous. And we believe also, when you think about the return of Christ, when you look at that article, not only is he coming again visibly and bodily, but also this judgment's going to happen. But we also believe there are two places for eternal existence. Not three, not four, two. And what are those? Heaven and hell. Now, many of you have asked me about preaching a message on heaven. You asked for it, and I'm going to do that, but it's going to be in 2023 because I don't want to deal with that just in one sermon. I want to do an entire series on what heaven is going to be like and how do you go there and what are we going to do. So we'll deal with that in 2023. But when you think about eternal existence, heaven or hell, those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, born again, experience his grace in a relationship with him, will spend eternity in heaven, and those who reject the grace of God, the Lord Jesus Christ are not born again never come to faith in Christ they will spend eternity in hell separated from him forever and forever and forever that's what the Bible says now what I want to do here as you see these other blanks I want us to pull down just a moment because as you think about there are primary issues in the Bible there are secondary issues in the Bible we can agree to disagree about some things but there are certain things we must be in agreement about. That's what the Baptist faith and message is talking about. That's what the Word of God is saying. So I want to give you these things that you and I agree about today. One is Jesus Christ is coming again. We agree about that. You may be pre-tribulation. You may be post-tribulation. You may be historical. Whatever you find yourself as. But we all agree this. Jesus Christ is coming again. One day the trumpet is going to sound and the Lord Jesus Christ is coming. We agree about that. Second thing, at Jesus' return, the judgment of the righteous and the unrighteous will take place. The judgment of the righteous is known as the judgment seat of Christ. It's not going to be about salvation. It's going to be about rewards because as you've given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved. You'll never be lost again. And so as you have given your life to him, it's a judgment of the righteous, meaning he's going to reward us that we build wood, hay, or straw, or gold, silver, costly stones. I don't want to waste days. I don't want to waste my life. And I want to receive all the rewards from the Lord Jesus Christ I can. Not to boast, but to lay them at his feet and to worship him and surrender. That's a judgment of the righteous. Judgment of the unrighteous is known in the book of Revelation as the great white throne judgment. 
If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will never go through the great white throne judgment because it is for those who have rejected the Lord who are non-believers in Christ. And you don't want to stand in that judgment because you'll be cast into the lake of fire. You don't want to go there. So we, we agree about that. Christ is coming again. There's going to be this judgment for the righteous and the unrighteous. And then number three, heaven and hell are real places. It's not your imagination. It's not just a fairy tale. According to the word of God, heaven and hell are real places of existence. Make sure in your life you know Christ. Make sure you can say with all certainty, today, if life ended for me, today the sound of the trumpet and the Lord Jesus Christ appeared, I will spend eternity in heaven with Christ, not because of my good works or religious deeds, but because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ in my life. I'll be with him forever. We agree about those things. So establish a solid foundation. We do that because what the Bible says, but also who we are as Baptists, we believe is coming again, the judgment, and heaven and hell are real places of existence. Number two, look at current events. There, there are many of you, when you look at Amazon, it's everywhere, and they're stopping at almost every house, it seems like. UPS, FedEx, all these other places, Postal Service, all those. And there are times you're going to get a package that's going to come to your door and it's going to say, handle with care. There are certain things in life you just got to handle with care. Uh, I've been in pastoral ministry for a long time, dealt with a lot of people who are going through some traumatic experiences in life, tough situations in life. And as I walk with them through life, I know this. There are times with people, especially people, many of us who are broken in life, you need to handle one another with care. I've been around broken marriages, I've been around broken families, and people ask me, can our marriage, can our family be restored and redeemed and say, absolutely, with God, all things are possible. Nothing's impossible with him. And then somewhere you say, well, how do we get our marriage back together, our family back together? You'll take action steps, we'll do this, do this, and do this. And somewhere as you go along, you want to make sure you see signs, you see evidence, or you see proof that things are improving in your marriage or in your family. And so you can look at those. Now, when we look at the return of Christ and we think about look at current events, what are the signs, what are the proofs, what's the evidence that he is coming again? Now, I'll give you some others. You can write these down. When you look at Matthew chapter 24, you look at Mark chapter 13, you look at Luke chapter 21, you're going to see what the Bible is saying about before the return of Christ, these things are going to happen. We see that. And then we come to a list like 2 Timothy chapter 3 where he says in the last days, here's what life is going to be like. Here's what's going to happen. And you're going to see signs and proofs and evidence. Uh, one day last week, Angie and I had lunch together and uh, we went to Chick-fil-A. And uh, how many of you like Chick-fil-A? We go to Chick-fil-A and we stand up and order and we order some chicken. And they said, do you want any sauces? And we said, absolutely, give me some Chick-fil-A sauce. And the person at Chick-fil-A said, we don't have any Chick-fil-A sauce. And I said, well, the world's coming to an end today then. <laughs> right, this, this is a major crisis. I mean, it's not in Luke, Luke 21 or Mark 13 or Matthew 24, but this may be a sign that the world's coming in. Then I said, then won't you go down to Publix and buy some? They sell it down there. <laughs> and uh, they, they didn't really care for that too much, I don't think. 
But we didn't get any Chick-fil-A sauce that day. But when, when you look around, but the, we went back another day and praise the Lord, the Lord came through and they've got Chick-fil-A sauce there now. So uh, all is well in the world based upon that. But when you look at the Bible, what are the signs? What's the evidence? What's the proof? I want to walk through these with you. Look at, I want to give you these three. Number one, lovers of self. Just look at 2 Timothy 3. But understand this. And what he means there when he says, but understand this, keep knowing this. It's something you've got to keep knowing. You've got to keep looking at. got to keep studying, keep thinking about. That in the last days, meaning before the return of Christ, there will come times of difficulty. What does that mean? Times of difficulty, it just means violent days. That's what it means, violent days. And then he says there will be times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self. Now, out beside of that, let me write, have you to write this word down. The word is narcissism. It's a big word, but it's narcissism. It's a fascination with self. Let me ask you this. Do we live in a culture, do we live in a day where people are fascinated with themselves? Lovers of self. I had a, had a soldier contact me this weekend and uh, whom I just love dearly and we're praying for him and all the soldiers who are serving overseas and even in our own country and so forth. And he contacted me and he said, Pastor, is there a way that I can pray for you this weekend? And I said, I appreciate you wanting to do that. And here's what I would encourage you to pray. I didn't give him just a stock answer, pray for wisdom, guidance, those things. I just said, then would you pray that I could live out John chapter 3, verse 30? Would you pray for me that Jesus would increase and I would decrease? I don't want life to be about myself. I want my life to be about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so be careful about narcissism when life is about you. Paul is saying to his young protege, Timothy, in the last days, violent days, people are going to be lovers of self. Look at the second one, lovers of money. He goes on to say many other things. He said lovers of self, lovers of money. I just want to give you a word of caution. If money is your priority in life, you are living a dangerous life because you're not going to take it with you. And if money is your priority, it, you will always be lacking. How much is enough? Just a little bit more. You'll never be satisfied. Let me get you to write this word out to the side, materialism. How many people get up in the morning and their focus is on material things? I pray for you and me to get up in the morning and to think, Lord, it's not about me, it's about you. I get up in the morning not thinking about simply material things, but Lord, I want to make a kingdom investment of in my life. So it's not about self, it's not about money. Lord, it's about you. That's my heart and desire. Number three, lovers of pleasure. Let me get you to write this word out to the side of that. It's another word that we use. It's called hedonism. It's just pleasure. Be careful about pleasure. Well, if I could just go there, if I could drink this, take this, experience this, life would be great. You are always disappointed when your focus is always on pleasure. Uh, when I look in the Bible, I look at Genesis 25. I see the story about Jacob and Esau, a fascinating story. Jacob's got some stew. Esau is hungry. He is starving. He just wants something to eat. He's got a birthright, but he looks at Jacob and said, if you'll give me some of that soup, some of that stew, then it will take care of my needs. And here's what Esau was willing to do. He sacrificed his future for the pleasure of the moment. Cost him dearly. In this room and those who are watching, I want to say something to kids and students and even us as adults. I pray you'll listen. Sit on the edge of your seat and listen. 
Do not sacrifice your future for the pleasure of the moment. Make sure Christ is your priority. Don't be a lover of pleasure. Don't be a lover of self, lover of money, lover of pleasure. And then Paul goes on through that lover proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, uh, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Make sure you love the Lord God Almighty with all of your heart and life. You'll never go wrong doing that. But look at the current events. What is it? Lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure. Number, number, the next, number three. Or number four, offer a personal challenge. I want to give you this insight here about this when I think about a personal challenge. How do we respond to the return of Christ when you look at number three? I want to give you a challenge here. I want you to write these down. Look, number one, get ready. As we go back again, Matthew chapter 24, what does the Bible say? The Bible says, therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Are you ready? Here's one of the things I would say. The Lord is patient with you and me. Imagine what if the Lord had returned 50 years ago. Imagine if he returned 25 years ago. Imagine if he returned 10 years ago, a year ago, or even just a month ago. How many of us would have, would have been outside of the kingdom of God because why? We didn't receive Christ. But aren't you grateful he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance? That's why, again, he's patient. That's why the delay is happening. One day he's coming again, but right now, this very day, this moment, he's given you an opportunity to give your life to Jesus and trust him as your Savior. You have to get ready. I pastored in northern Kentucky for a number of years. There was a sweet family in that church. We did a lot with them. We were their house a lot. We would house sit for them. They'd help us take care of things in our lives. Just a wonderful, wonderful couple. We got news yesterday that on Friday, this sweet couple, husband and wife, uh, out in Montana fishing, and she got swept away by the currents and lost her life. And they found her miles down river somewhere. They had everything in the world you could possibly ask for. Everything you could get in this life. Wonderful kids, wonderful family. list goes on and on. Blink of an eye. Life changed. The good news, she's ready. She knew Christ. Went overseas with us, her and her daughter, into Asia, doing mission trips, so forth. Was ready. But I just want to challenge you today. Make sure you're ready. Life can change. Christ could come again. Number two, stay awake. If you think about what the Bible says again in Matthew 24, what does he say there? Therefore, stay awake for you don't know on what day your Lord is coming. Don't be so in love with this world. Stay awake. Keep your eyes on Christ. Look at current events. Look at the Word of God. Yes, He could come at any time. Yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Number three, share Jesus. Folks, if there's anything that we need to be doing in our day, it is sharing the good news of Christ with people. Sharing the Lord Jesus, helping people get ready, helping people make reservations to be ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Make sure your reservations are secure there. We need to be sharing Christ. I want to invite Rick Thompson to come back up with me on a platform. And uh, One of the things I know about Rick and Jill, their passion is to share the gospel in Brazil but also around the world. And so, so Rick, I appreciate your time today as we think about this message 
and, and you think about mission trips, we want to send people around the world. Why are mission trips so important for us at First Baptist? What does it do to help people share Jesus with people, not only in Brazil, but even in our daily context of life? What does that do for people? First of all, people are in need of salvation. The urgency is, is huge. People are not ready to meet Christ yet. And so your coming helps them see Christ. Your example helps them understand who he is and that he's real to you. Just your presence in another country says to them, I am here to help you understand that I have a personal relationship with Jesus and I, I want you to have a personal relationship with Jesus. We have seen many people come to Christ because somebody in the United States was ready, came, shared, and helped them understand Jesus. You, you at the International Mission Board, Dr. Chitwood says this. You, he talks about one of the, the greatest problem in the world. You know, you'd say, what is the greatest problem in the world? And here's what Dr. Chitwood, Rick and Jill Thompson, people at the International Mission Board say. The word is one word. It's lostness. Dr. Chitwood says, and I think I'm going to be pretty accurate on this, over 157,000 people around the world die every single day without Jesus. You get that? 157,000 over that people every day. As you all look at Brazil, as you think about life here in America, as you look at lostness, how do we penetrate lostness as believers in Christ? How do we do that? First thing is we need to be in prayer. God, please send somebody to me so that I can share the gospel. I think it starts with prayer. The second thing is we have to understand that it has to come through intentionality. I have to be intentional to share the gospel with somebody. I have to live a life that says, okay, if I'm going to talk to somebody for seven minutes or more, I'm going to get to the gospel and be intentional about that. And that makes a difference. And so where do you guys encourage people to do that? Just everything from a hair salon to a restaurant to gas stations or relationships everywhere you go? Everywhere you go, every opportunity. It can happen at Chick-fil-A. It can happen in Brazil at the gas station. It can happen anywhere at any time. We need to be ready to share our faith, be prayed up and asking God to open that opportunity. And one thing that's great about God, if we will pray, if we will be ready, God will make that happen. And, and do you think, as you think about our congregation, those in the room, those who are watching, as we seek to share Jesus, we talk about worship God, love people, share Jesus, make disciples. Do people really want to hear about Jesus? Are they open to having a gospel conversation? Absolutely. Here and there, it's, it's amazing to me that people will want to hear about Jesus. We will go door to door, knock on a door, and just ask the question, can we share with you about God? And 99% of the time, they will say, yes, you can, and we can go right to the gospel and share with them. Yeah, I was yesterday at a place here in town to get my hair cut, and somebody I'd not met before, but met her, got her first name and so forth, and within 15 minutes of that time that I was with her, we had talked about her life, where she was from, how did she get to Clarksville. We had talked about her personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We had talked about what does it mean to be baptized as a believer in Christ and how to get connected with a local church family. There are people out there, hair salons, restaurants, gas stations, your place in life, your relationship. They're interested in talking about Jesus. We just have to be willing to share him. 
So somebody here today and say, I've never had a conversation with somebody about Jesus. What kind of final word would you give them to say, you can do this. The Holy Spirit will equip you to have a conversation with somebody about Christ. What would you say? Jesus said, I am with you mm. always to the end of the world. Yeah. We have the power and the authority of Jesus to go with us. You have already been empowered. If you know him, you can share him. If you haven't had that experience, grab somebody and say, I would like to do that. Talk to the pastor. Talk to somebody on staff. Talk to your, your friend. Talk to the person that, that's disciple you. Talk to that connect group. It will make a difference. All right. Rick, thank you. Let's give Rick thanks. Praise the Lord. Thank you for your insights. Let me give you these two last things that we're going to pray and then our pastoral team is going to be here. And we would love for you to make sure you're awake and you're ready today in relationship to Christ. And if you have questions, we'd love to pray with you online. You can respond to us as well. Number four, live godly. When you and I think about the return of Christ, it should make an influence on how you and I live. There's some places we don't want to go, some things we don't want to do, because if the Lord Jesus was to return at that very moment, I wouldn't want him finding me there or doing that particular activity. It should compel you and me to live godly in this life. Live wise. Make the most of every opportunity. Seek the time while it's day. Be faithful to him. And then number five, encourage others. When you and I think about the return of Christ, it should take away gossip, should take away destructive criticism, should take away any kind of injury we would say to somebody, but lead us to encourage one another. First Thessalonians, we find this. Again, Paul writing, has been talking about the return of Christ and so forth and what that means. And then he says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We should be encouraging one another. Years ago, Ange and I were in Arizona. It's hot in Arizona. And so we made our way up to Flagstaff, and then we made our way up to the Grand Canyon, and we were tent camping. Those were the days that we did that. So we were tent camping, set up our tent for the night. We got up early the next morning, made our way to the south rim of the Grand Canyon, and we saw the sunrise. What an amazing experience of worship. We didn't worship the sunrise, didn't do that at all. Uh, we worshiped the one who created the sunrise, the Lord God Almighty. And so that day we hung around the Grand Canyon. We made a decision that we were going to walk down into the canyon. And so we had a bottle, a 16-ounce bottle of water with us, and it was about halfway full. And so we start walking down into the canyon, and we, we don't really even know what we're doing. We're just walking this trail. And then all of a sudden there was another guy who was coming up, and we made eye contact, and we said hello to him, and he said hello to us. And then he stopped us. And he says, now you're going down into the canyon? We said, yeah, we want to walk down the canyon as much as we can. He says, well, is that all the water you've got? I said, that's all we've got. And he says, here's my recommendation. Turn around and go back out. You're not prepared for the Grand Canyon. Now, Ains and I were standing there with a decision to make. Well, sir, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. You don't know us. We're tough as nails. We can do anything. <laughs> you don't know us. Well, give us some of your water then if you got some more. We didn't do any of those things. We didn't negotiate with him. We didn't debate with him. We didn't question what he said. We just said, hey, based on what he said, we're not prepared for the Grand Canyon. And so wise turned around, walked out of the canyon. Are you prepared for the return of Christ? If the trumpet sounded in the next five minutes, are you prepared because you have said yes to Jesus in your life? Are you prepared? That's what this invitation is about. That's why his grace is so amazing. For, for, for a kid, for a student, adult, 
You don't have to leave this worship center. You don't have to log off the device that you're watching on unprepared. You can be prepared because if you'll call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved, meaning you will be prepared to meet Jesus when he comes. Or if you pass away before then, you're ready to meet him. I just plead with you today. I appeal to you today. Don't procrastinate. Don't delay. Don't excuse it away. Give your life to Jesus. Follow him in believer's baptism. Join the fellowship of this church. Make spiritual decisions in the Christian life that you need to share Jesus with somebody in your life. Make those decisions. Why? Because Jesus is coming again. Seize the opportunity while you can. Church, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this morning we do pray. And we, we thank you, Father, that you gave your one and only Son. He left heaven. He was born in Bethlehem. He walked the shores of Galilee, was crucified on a cross, buried in a tomb. The stone is rolled away. The tomb is empty. He is alive. And one day he's coming again. And because of your amazing grace, Father, we can know you in a personal way and that if you were to return or we are to pass away, we are ready to meet you and to spend eternity with you in heaven. And so, Father, I pray in this invitation right now that the enemy would have no victories in this invitation, that kids and students and adults, if they don't know Christ, they would walk down one of these aisles and say to one another, before this service is over, I want to make sure Jesus is the Savior and Lord of my life. If I know Christ, but I've never been baptized, I want to make that decision today. And I want to be baptized on a Sunday coming up soon. Now, we've been coming to First Baptist for a long time. This is a church that worships the Lord, preaches the truth. We want to be a part of this church family. Oh, Heavenly Father, may people respond today to say, we want to come back home or we want this to be our church family. And God, for those of us who know people who don't know Christ, they're not prepared for His return. And may this altar even be filled with people who would say, I'm going to pray for someone by name to come to Christ and that God would even use me as a witness in that person's life. And God, you can do that. Why? Because your grace is amazing. So thank you, Lord Jesus. And we invite people to come to you as we pray. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.